Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, we've made it to Christmas Eve, at least, and on just the other side of the night will be Christmas morning. Any kids out there excited for that? What about big kids? I know I'm excited. I always get excited. Even when you get old, you're not too old to be a kid. Just be an old kid. Um, okay, so we all like to celebrate Christmas here. I wonder how many people in here have a Christmas tree in your house. How many have a Christmas tree? All right. Now, how many of you know what it's like to get a real live Christmas tree? Who has ever gone out and gotten a real live Christmas tree? Okay, so how do you do that? You go, well, now we probably go to a store or somewhere like a like a landscaping place, and they have Christmas trees at this time of year. Um, sometimes, if you're really roughing it, you can go out to the, the woods in New Hampshire somewhere, maybe, and cut one down. But what, what do you look for in a Christmas tree? You're looking for one that's, that's got all the green on it, right? That doesn't have many holes on the branches. You want it to actually fit all your ornaments, right? You don't want it to have a bunch of empty spots on your Christmas tree. Well, that's how ordinarily it should go when you go out to get a Christmas tree, right? Um, now I have another question for you. Um, how many of you have seen the movie uh, Charlie Brown Christmas? Charlie Brown Christmas, show of hands. Okay, so I haven't dated myself yet. Okay, if you're under the age of 15, let's say, let me, let me see your hands. Have you seen a Charlie Brown Christmas? Okay, if you are in that age demographic and you have a parent here and you haven't seen that movie, you have to get in your parents' ear and say, Dad, Mom, I really want to see a Charlie Brown Christmas when I go home, okay? And they should be able to do that. Parents, it's only about 30 minutes. It won't go too far past bedtime, but you should look it up. A Charlie Brown Christmas. So there's a scene in Charlie Brown Christmas where Charlie Brown goes out to find a Christmas tree. Those of you who've seen it, you know what, this, what the scene is, right? Charlie Brown, he goes into um, this little the store area. He's looking for a Christmas tree. And he, he's going and looking for one, and he finds one. But what's the problem with this Christmas tree? Do you remember? It doesn't have many needles. It's kind of like the last one left. It doesn't look very nice, right? So he goes up to this Christmas tree, and he says, this little green one right here looks like it needs a home. So he get, grabs that Christmas tree, and then his little friend Linus. You remember Linus? He's got his blanket. He always walks around with a blanket. He says, oh, I don't know, Charlie Brown. Remember what Lucy said? This doesn't seem to fit the modern spirit. It's not elaborate like all these other trees. It doesn't have as many branches on it for it to fit all these ornaments that we know that we need for a Christmas tree, right? So Charlie Brown, he says, Linus, I don't care. We'll decorate it, and it'll be just right for our play. Besides... I think it needs me. So he picks up the Christmas tree, and he goes off. But when he picks up the Christmas tree, you know what happens? Even more of the needles fall off. So it's an even worse tree than he thought it was. Okay, Charlie Brown. In some sense, Charlie Brown is like Jesus, in the sense that he goes and gets the thing that's the most unimpressive out of the whole bunch. It's what Jesus does. It's what Charlie Brown does. And when he picks up this tree, he says, this tree needs me. And so in that way, Charlie Brown can be a little bit like Jesus. But there's a lot of things about Charlie Brown that are not like Jesus. When Charlie Brown went into the Christmas tree farm, he didn't know that that tree is what he was going for. It's just all that was left, right? So he's not like Jesus in that way. Charlie Brown didn't know that he was going to go home with a pitiful looking tree. But Jesus, he knew what his people were like when he came into the world. 
He didn't have an illusion that all these people were going to look all buttoned up, nice and tidy, that they would fit the modern spirit, that that would be beautiful to look at. Jesus knew those who he was coming for. So Charlie Brown, it's not like Jesus. Jesus shows us something a little bit better. So tonight, we're going to look at a snapshot of Jesus's life. During our Advent series, we've been going through uh, different snapshots of Jesus, what he did actually during his life. So you come here on Christmas Eve, you think, oh, we're going to hear about the birth narrative. We're going to hear about what this baby was like when he came into the world. Well, we say not so fast. We're actually going to look at what this baby would do as he went on with his life a little bit later. So tonight, we're not looking specifically at the birth narrative, but we're looking at what this one who had a miraculous birth, what is this baby going to do? in the world, and how wonderful news it is about what this baby would do. What would this miraculously born baby Jesus do? What was his purpose in coming into our world? At the very least, we can say that Jesus didn't come into the world looking for the ones that are good-looking, put together, fit in with the modern spirit type. Jesus came for those who are broken, pushed aside, needles falling off all around. Jesus came for that kind of person. And so we're going to open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. If you have one of these hardback black Bibles, I encourage you to get one. Hey, even if you're a kid and there's a Bible next to you, I think you might be able to find your way to the gospel of Mark, okay? But I know we, we give you a lot of help here on the screen. You can also look on the screen, okay? Mark chapter 2, we're looking at verses 13 through 17. Um, this is on page 837, if you have a hard time finding it in those Bibles. So I'm going to read this. I hope you would follow along with me. This is speaking about Jesus, a little bit older in his life. Uh, he went out again by the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." This is who Jesus came for. So tonight, we're going to look at that very last verse, verse 17, where Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you're taking notes, you just want to have a, a hook to ha hang your thoughts on. The first one is this, Jesus did not come to call the righteous. And when Jesus came into the world, one thing he didn't do, he did not do, was to call those who were righteous. Now, what do I mean by righteous? What does Jesus mean by righteous? When we look at Mark chapter 2, we think Jesus did actually come for people that were decent, right? Well, it seems like he says something different. He didn't come for the righteous. I think really what he means by righteous here is the kind of person that is self-righteous. You might look at yourself and think, oh, I've got everything put together. In New England, we might say, I'm all set. I've got everything figured out. I'm actually pretty good. So when Jesus comes into the world, he didn't come for those who said, I'm all set without him. That's what being self-righteous 
is. Now, in this passage in Mark chapter 2, we actually have an example of what a self-righteous person is. And the example in this passage is the scribes of the Pharisees. You can see them down in verse 16. They're actually named, and those are the people that bring the question to Jesus. So what does it look like to be a self-righteous person, at least as Mark chapter 2 puts it up? Okay, what does it look like? Well, the first thing that I can see in this passage is that a self-righteous person, these scribes of the Pharisees, they question Jesus in their heart. They look at Jesus, instead of worshiping him, welcoming, welcoming him into the world, they decide, I'm going to question him. If you look at the passage just before this, you can see how they treat Jesus. It's actually pretty astounding. If you were standing in a house, and there were all these people around a teacher, and they were really listening to him, and then all of a sudden, someone came in. Let's say it's in this room. And all of a sudden, someone says, there's so many people in there, I can't even fit. And then someone decides, oh, I can't get in the door, but I can get in through the roof. And they take the roof off of the building, and they drop down into the building to come into the person that's teaching. Don't you think that would be quite elaborate? I think it would. That's actually what happens in the story just before this. And when that happens, Jesus says, I have seen your faith and your sins are forgiven. He looked at the people that wanted to come to his presence and he saw that this was an act of faith in them and he says, you are forgiven of your sins. Now, what did the self-righteous Pharisees do? Someone just did this elaborate show of faith. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. We would rejoice at such a thing, right? But what do the Pharisees say? Well, they question in their hearts. They say, why does this man speak like that? Why does he do that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they're questioning Jesus in his heart. And what they're questioning is Jesus's identity as God. Does Jesus have the authority truly to forgive sins like he said he did? Now, I don't know where you come from. I know many of you in this room. I don't know all of you. Um, but I think this questioning in the heart didn't just stop with the Pharisees. Perhaps you know someone yourself, someone who questions in their heart what kind of person Jesus is. Who is he? Is he truly the Son of God? Is he truly as powerful as all those Christians say he is? In our, in our day, we would call these kinds of people a skeptic. I think it's okay to ask good questions. Even our young people in this room, I've had some pretty sharp questions from you. And I've actually heard a pretty cool question recently. Someone, someone asked, how do we know that Jesus wasn't just a person that someone just wrote a book about? How come it wasn't just some random guy, he wrote down the story about Jesus, and now 2,000 years later, all these people are deceived. They're just kind of following this random person. That's the kind of question that a skeptic might ask. But it's also an honest question. And I think as Christians, we should be able to answer that. If someone brings us that kind of question, if, if we think, oh, is this just a bunch of random books that someone just thought up in their head? Well, we would say no, but why? Why? Well, I think during our sermon series, we've, been tried to, we've tried to be very careful with what we've selected. Okay, so as a Christian, you should know how to answer this. Here's how I would answer it. Well, at the very least, you can look and see there are, there are four different Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So you've got all these different four people who all saw Jesus. And these four different people, they saw Jesus, and they all said the same thing about Jesus. And it doesn't stop there. There are many thousands of people that saw Jesus in his lifetime, and they said, yeah, everything that they said is true. 
And it doesn't stop there. Jesus like died and then he resurrected from the grave and then he showed up to many more people. And guess what? They're like, yeah, everything that Matthew, Mark, and John said, that's true. So look, it's not just one person that wrote this stuff down. This is many people all at the same time, all seeing and saying the same thing. So if you're a skeptic today, I might ask, why would you have that question? We want to give you some great answers to your questions. Even our young people, you have this kinds of question. We want to be able to answer those things. But if you question, if this is just some random thing that came down, we have good answers for it. And at the very least, in this sense, if you question in your heart whether Jesus was actually real, we can look at history. We can look at actual eyewitness testimonies, and they give us an answer. So we don't have to question those kinds of things in our heart. We can trust that Jesus actually was a person in this world. Jesus actually is who he said he was. He actually lived everything out that he taught. He actually died, and he rose again from the grave. That's wild, but it's true. Eyewitness testimonies corroborated as well. This is what we can answer as Christians at a time like Christmas. Someone asks us if we're out of our minds, we can say we're actually not. God is real. Jesus is real. And we have evidence of history and in the Bible itself. So we see skeptics all around us. But what else do they ask? We saw another question here in our passage where they come to Jesus and they see not just who he is, but what he's doing. What was Jesus doing in this passage? He wasn't just saying crazy things that they thought. He was actually associating with people that they thought he shouldn't be associating with, right? They thought his friends were not the kind of people that you ought to be hanging out with. And so the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they say, look at who's all around your table. Those are the not, not the kind of people you should associate yourself with. Jesus, surely if you're the son of God, you would know that. If you associate with tax collectors and Pharisees, you're going to get some uncleanness on yourself. Don't you know that that's wrong? And Jesus answers them, and he tests them. But what are they questioning? They're questioning Jesus' associations. They believe that if you associated with certain kinds of people, you might become unclean. That's what they believed. And so, what's Jesus' evaluation of these types of people? They're questioning in their hearts. Another thing we see about them is that they're actually, they're unhealthy, but they think that they're healthy. They think that they're healthy people. Jesus gives, an, uh, gives us an illustration there in verse 17. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician. You think you're good. You think you've got everything put together. You think that um, you've got all of your questions figured out and you're good. But you're actually not. And Jesus tests that kind of thought in our mind. If we truly do think that we have everything together in our life, then we might be self-deceived. We might even be self-righteous just like the Pharisees. And so the illustration equates very easily into our culture. It's just like somebody who has cancer in their body. This cancer is going to kill you, but you're acting like you don't have any cancer at all, and you're keeping yourself away from doctors who might be able to help you. And so Jesus says, if you're that kind of person, you think you're healthy, go to the one who can fix your cancer. In a spiritual sense, we all know that we're in a place of sin. We need God to enter in and help us. We ought not to think that we're all healthy. We ought not to think that we're all in this and we all have it together. In fact, Jesus insists that when we come to the end of ourself, we're ready to begin our life with him. And so Jesus did not come to call the self-righteous person. He called them to submit to him. That's the first thing that he does. But what does he do? What does Jesus do? On Christmas, this is a wonderful message, and this is the good news. Jesus came for sinners. 
He did not come to call the self-righteous. Jesus came to call sinners. You see that there at the end of verse 17? I came not to call the righteous, but who does he say? Sinners. Not the people that are all put together, not the ones that look impressive, but the ones who are sinners. Now, what do we mean by sinners? For sinners, we mean someone who rebels against God's good commands for us. We mean someone who... um, reads God's law, his commands, and disobeys them, or we look at God's character, and we don't act like his character. And if we're honest, that's everyone in this room. And so the good news at Christmas is Jesus came for someone just like you, just like me. Jesus came for sinners. So who are the examples in this passage? What are the examples that we have? Well, at the beginning there in verse 14, we read about Levi, right? And who was Levi? He was the guy who brought together all these tax collectors and sinners, right? The very people who the Pharisees were, uh, were critiquing. And what, why were they upset about this? Well, Levi was a tax collector. And in that time, tax collectors, they would charge people their taxes. We get taxed even today. None of us like it, but it's just the result of life. But think about if someone took your taxes and then they said, oh, I'm actually going to tax you a little bit more so that I can do better for myself. That probably still happens today. But that should make us a little bit upset, right? We wouldn't like that kind of behavior. And so this this guy, Levi, was associated with these types of people. And yet, even the person who's been wronging others, even the person who, from the world's perspective, looks pretty bad, Jesus came even for that kind of person. Jesus came for people like Levi and all of his friends. So Levi, he responds to Jesus' call to him, right? Jesus says, come and follow me. And guess what he does? He does it. He starts to follow Jesus. And that's amazing. He says, oh, I'm going to get together all my tax collector friends, all of my sinner friends, and we're going to have a great meal together with Jesus. Don't you think that would be awesome? I like to talk about food with people. I wonder what they ate there. Um, Some of you eat Chinese food on Christmas. I think that's pretty cool. Um, Some of you eat like the traditional uh, like Thanksgiving food on Christmas? I don't know. You eat pretty cool food. I wonder what Jesus ate on this time. I don't know. It's worth asking, though, and I like to talk about food. So maybe that's what I'll ask him when we get to heaven someday. What did Jesus eat? I'm not sure, but I know that he was hanging out with some people that the Pharisees thought he shouldn't have. And so he tests them. He tests their, um, what they thought about the low lives in society. I read a commentary, and he said, these are like the unscrupulous riffraff of society. He was associating himself with them. So, how did Jesus look at them? He cared about them, he invited them to his dinner table, and he taught them about himself. That's what Jesus requires of us. And so, for anyone in this room, when you come to Jesus, you stop saying, oh, look how awesome I am. Look how put together my life is now. When you come to Jesus, you say, not, no longer look how amazing I am, but look how amazing Jesus is, and look what he's done for me. That's what we say when we come to Jesus. We recognize that we're sick, and we recognize that we need a doctor. We recognize that we're not all put together, but we need someone to put us all back together again. That's the exact kind of person that Jesus came for. I've heard it said like this, Jesus didn't come for those who are... Um, For those who are strong and have it all together, Jesus came for those who are weak and admit they need a Savior. Jesus came for you if you admit that you're weak. Now, 
I know a lot of us in this room are self-proclaimed Christians. We believe in Jesus. Now, I can imagine that many of you would say, yeah, it's pretty amazing that Jesus came. You've been in church for a while. You profess to be a Christian. Um, you, still, you still have a holdup in your heart, though. And what, what holdup do I think that might be? You might think that Jesus came for you, but you might think, just maybe, that Jesus came for a better version of you. You think that Jesus came for the person that's all, that's better. For you moms in the room, you might think that Jesus came for the mom that's already got all her Christmas presents uh, wrapped up and put under the Christmas tree. Uh, you might think that Jesus came for the version of you that's a little less anxious. You might think that Jesus came for the person that's a little less irritated when someone cuts you off in traffic. You might think that Jesus came for the person who no longer struggles with those secret sins. But the truth of this passage and the truth of Christmas is that Jesus already knows everything about you. And if you will admit that you are weak and that you need a Savior, Jesus came for you, the real you, not some fake you, not some theoretical you, the real you, and he came to be your Savior. That's what Jesus did at Christmas, the good news of Christmas. He came for sinners like you and me. I started out with Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, at the end of the movie, he asks, is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? You know what happens then? Old friend Linus comes up and he says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then Linus, he comes to the center stage. They're setting up for a play, right? So Linus steps up in the middle of the stage. The light shows down on him, and Linus says, lights, please. Shuts down on the lights all around, shows right on Linus. Linus stands there in the middle of the stage, and guess what he says? And this is why I recommend it to you. He tells the exact Christmas story that Miss Paula just read for all of us. It says, and there was in, the, in that same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not. And you remember, Linus has this blanket. If you notice, he drops it. Right then, when the angel says, fear not, do you think that might be saying something? Drop the blanket. You don't have to fear. God is here. He goes on, he says, For behold, I give you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be assigned unto you, and you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's Luke 2, quoted in Charlie Brown. Linus picks up his blanket, goes up and says to Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And that's the message that's so true for us today. True for Charlie Brown, true for us. Um, I love that we decorate in here for Christmas, and I love that we keep two elements on our stage here. So, kids, I need some help. What would you say we call this thing? What do we call this? Kids? What do we call it? Is this a manger? You call that a manger? What happens in a manger? You remember what happened in a manger? This is, where, this is where animals would come and eat their food, right? And think about this. When God came into the world, he decided, when I'm born, I'm going to be laid down in the same place 
that animals are going to eat their food from. Don't you think that's a pretty humble thing to do for God? That's pretty humble. Jesus could have come down and set himself on the king's throne, but instead he sat himself in a manger. Now we also have something else on the stage. What's this? This is a cross, right? What happened on the cross, kids? What, what did Jesus do there? He died. Jesus died on the cross. So this baby in a manger would one day die on the cross for who? For the people that are strong and have it all together? No. What about those who are weak and admit they need a Savior? That's exactly what this baby in a manger came to do. The baby in a manger became the Savior on the cross. Matthew 121 says this about Jesus. An angel came to Mary and she said, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people for their sins, from their sins. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Praise God. That's the good news of Christmas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you didn't come for the theoretical us, but the real us. And that we can, when we come to the end of ourselves, submit ourselves to you. So we thank you that you came into this world to save sinners who were just like us. We pray this in your great name. Amen.